people are surprised that my main priority was to be able to pee standing up, but uh, the the probably the second priority after that would be to have like a, a sex life like a, any other guy. Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Sanagato. I'm Greg Dybeck. For anyone out there that wants to be a guest on our show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can reach us at our uh, website, OPLshow.com, or just send us an email directly at OPLpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, and before we get into it, uh, we want to make sure that you guys, the listeners, the viewers, get a promo code for the game that Joe and I created. It's called Pay the Price. If you haven't heard about it, it's a trivia party game. Uh, We worked on this for well over a year. We wrote every single card. It's a lot of fun to uh, bring back game night with friends and family. So if you want to check that out and learn more, head over to paythepricegame.com and use the code OPL at checkout for 15% off. So today we're going to be speaking with a post-phalloplasty transgender man, and we're excited to offer him this platform because he reached out to us wanting to talk about a few things. One being the surgery itself, which is essentially having a penis made, for lack of a better term. It's a surgery that a lot of us know about, but likely we don't know of the actual details around how it's done and what it's like for the person getting it. And he also wants to speak about his general preference to typically not have anyone know that he's trans. And I think there's a lot to discuss here, uh, a lot of ongoing debates and conversations right now about whether or not a trans person person should disclose if they're trans in certain situations. So we're excited to hear from him, offer him our platform and talk about his personal journey. So we've got our guests on the line and thanks for being on today. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, It's good to talk to both of you guys. Yeah, no, excited to jump into this. And uh, you mentioned in the email, so you were assigned female at birth. You began to transition around the age of 18, I believe. But can you just kind of walk us through uh, just your journey a bit of, you know, how it started and where you are now? Yeah, so uh, socially began transitioning around like anywhere from like 16, 17. And then that's basically just like telling people this is what's going on, like slowly um, and then medically transitioned, uh, like using testosterone around the age of 19. But, uh, even 10 years ago, it doesn't sound like that long ago, but it was pretty hard to get access. It was kind of just as, uh, they were starting to do, uh, like informed consent models here in Canada. So I actually started self-medicating and it wasn't until six months after that, that I gained like an actual prescription and it wasn't because I didn't want to go through the proper channels. It was just that we only had one clinic you could go through. So it was like a three year wait just to be seen. Oh, wow. Um, and then eventually, uh, had surgery. I think my first one was at 23, which was the chest surgery. And then when I was 27, the hysterectomy taking all of that stuff out. And that's kind of like a preparatory surgery for the phalloplasty that you were talking about, uh, which I had the first stage of last year at the age of 28. Um, and my second stage just this past summer. Okay. So you said, you know, obviously, um, you know, you said that at 18 or 16, 17, 17, 18, you said you started socially telling people like, you know, this is how I want to identify and, uh, then you said physically you started testosterone. Like, and at what point did you sort of make the decision 
you know, around, I mean, you're, you're saying like around 18, 19, when you started testosterone, did you know at that moment that you wanted to get um, all of these surgeries or was it still kind of like something new? Uh, I knew like around the time I was 18 that I, I knew for sure I wanted the top surgery and the hysterectomy. I wanted the phalloplasty, but there was a lot of misinformation. There's still like, even to this day is a lot of misinformation, which is one of the reasons why I was willing to like, come on and talk about it. Um, is just because I find even within the trans community or with trans men, like a lot of them don't understand how the surgery works or they think that it's like a non-functional, uh, you know, organ when, when it's perfectly like, or they think that it looks a certain way when it doesn't, uh, cause there's not like a lot of information out there. Um, so I had some of that misinformation myself, which is why it took me, you know, so many years to end up getting the surgery myself. Um, plus there's a lot of like legal and, and, uh, physical hoops you kind of have to jump through or like, it's getting easier now, but especially back then you had to go through a lot more hoops to do certain things. Um, but yeah, I definitely knew I wanted the surgeries and everything. It's just, it was one of those things of, I was trying to put it off because I didn't know if I would have like a support system behind me, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. of course. And, and what sort of misinformation do you, did you have at the time that you know now was, was misinformation? Uh, some of it's misinformation and then some of it is based on how good of a, a provider you have in, in terms of like a surgeon. So uh, here in Canada, there's only one place that does it and they don't have a urologist and like you would kind of want someone that specializes in that if you're going to like reroute the whole way that you pee and everything so uh you know i originally was under the assumption that you could only get the operation funded in canada as a canadian um when there are options and i did in fact go uh to the u.s for mine and it was funded by my province uh so that was one of the things I didn't know about. And then also, um, you know, sometimes the way that it looks like people will like, there's three stages of the surgery minimum. Uh, and people will show like a picture of the, the surgery of the first stage out, uh, when it's not even finished and it's like a few days fresh and like any surgery, like when it's fresh, it doesn't look great. Uh, even like top surgery, like it can look pretty gnarly at times. Uh, so people will share photos like that and act as though that's the finished product. Mm. Um, and then people kind of comment on the appearance of that and think that that's what it looks like. Or, you know, if you have to have additional, uh, surgeries, they, they don't understand that it's going to look different and function different as time goes on. Yeah. So it's a process. So I guess before we get into some of the details, you know, around the surgery, like how it's done and honestly, what, what that's like for you going through that, um, you mentioned that, I guess one of the reasons that you were apprehensive was just support and not knowing if you'd have a support system. So when you finally decided to go through with the, the bottom surgery, did you, was that because you did have support? Like, did you tell your family and friends or did you not find support and just kind of said, you know, I'm doing this anyway? Uh, I would have done it either way, but I, I did end up having a bit more support with family. Like initially my family wasn't on board and was like very against it. Um, like some of my family members wanted me to do conversion therapy uh, when I was, when I first let them know and everything, but they've completely done a 180 at this point. So uh, they're super supportive of everything now, but obviously that was a process that I had to kind of wait for them to, uh, to kind of see that it was the right decision for me, um, which, you know, isn't the easiest thing, but uh, 
it's better that they, you know, change their opinion on it versus not changing it at all. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good to hear because we've had conversation. We've had a conversation with someone who, whose family put them through conversion therapy, and it's. Uh, I, I don't know how often when we speak to people in in those type of situations, uh, there's a good positive outcome or, or a family coming around. We've spoken to a lot of people who, you know, have had to cut ties with their family. So that that's really good to hear that they were able to, you know, shift their mindset in that way. Yeah, I did. I did originally cut ties with them for a, a period of time, like originally, um, at least with some of them, and then some of them cut ties with me. And then it was one of those things of like, you know, I think part of it is being an only child. You know, my parents kind of were like, well, it's either we, you know, have a relationship with our, our kid or we don't at all. So, um, and then eventually they saw that I was, you know, like they lived with me as a teenager, saw that I was like depressed and like dealing with something, but, uh, they saw that I was happier. So I think that that kind of, you know, changed their view on things, uh, along nice. with everything else. Um, and can you talk about the, the actual surgery for people who don't know? I mean, we're talking about how there's misinformation and, you know, a lot of people just aren't educated on what the surgery actually, actually is. So can you just give us a brief, uh, you know, summary of what, um, is that what the surgery is? Yeah, for and sure. how they yeah. like do it, you know? Yeah. So there's a couple different ways that they'll do it. Um, the way that I had it done is the most common and the oldest, um, way of doing it, which basically any type of phalloplasty, they take like a skin graft, um, and they use that to create the actual penis, but they also use it to lengthen the urethra, um, so that you can pee standing up. And it's a surgery that was originally made for cis men, like back in the 1930s, um, for like, you know, if they had, uh, lost their penis in the war or like if they had some type mm. of cancer or something like it's been used in in cis men for you know or if they have certain birth defects it's sometimes used but it ended up uh, the first time it was used for trans man was sometime like around like 1935 not 100% sure you can fact check it um, but it was around then uh, but it basically they took a skin graft off my arm I had to get hair removal on part of that because it was being used uh, to lengthen my urethra so I could pee standing up um, they do what's called a vaginectomy, which is basically just like closing up that whole area, making it as though that never existed. Um, they transfer nerves and arteries and a vein from your arm into your new penis. Cause you need to have blood flow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cause it's going to be like a living tissue. So you need blood flow to it. And like the nerves are actually, so you can have sensation. That's one of the one of the biggest myths is that you don't have any sensation in it, that it's basically just like a dead limb, but they actually take nerves from your arm, I think up to two or three, and they connect that to the nerve that's uh, attached to like your natal genitalia. And they kind of like hook that up. So then as long as your nerve hookup goes well, uh, that sensation like ends up running throughout the rest of your penis um, the same way that it would have like, uh, it's basically, and they bury the, what you would call the clit. Like some people might be like triggered by that, but like they bury that within your penis if you cho choose to do that. And that also helps with, sens uh, the sensation. Um, but mostly it's the nerve, the nerve transfer that, that really helps with that. There's like a lot of microsurgery involved. So, yeah, I was going to say, this seems 
insanely advanced yeah. time consuming. Yeah, I'm blown away by this, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe the first time this happened was 1935. Like, uh, like how you know? I don't was... think they had the uh, the nerve hookups necessarily so much. Like they um, and they used to do abdominal phalloplasty only. So like I had what's called RFF or radial forearm flap. So uh, it's the one that ends up with the most sensation, just because they can take more nerves out of that graft space. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but the other options are you can take it from your thigh or you can take it from your uh, your abdomen, which is the way that they used to do it in the 1930s. So I don't think back then they were doing the nerve part, but they were Gosh. doing the whole like, you know, urethral lengthening, closure of certain things and all yeah. that. I just think the, the sensation part is more so like that's been around since probably around the 70s or 80s, not 100% sure, but that's a bit newer. Um, but And that was important in, in your decision, it seems, to make sure that you got the most out of it, I guess you could say. Yeah, I didn't, uh, didn't want to, you know, obviously, like, uh, people are surprised that my main priority was to be able to pee standing up, but uh, the, the probably the second priority after that would be to have like a, a sex life like a, any other guy um yeah well, feel it like i i wouldn't want to trade that off really why uh do you think you know it was important like the top priority was to just pee standing up for you just because uh like obviously sex is a big part of your life but it's not like an everyday like if you think about how many times you pee during a day um it just got to the point where like like it was something that bothered me like uh i think some people like when you've interviewed them before they've used the term like dysphoria or whatever before where like just makes you like uncomfortable like having to sit to pee and stuff like that and then i also like felt super uncomfortable working especially with people that don't know that i'm trans having to always find a bathroom mm. that you know uh and, and like worrying about if they're going to notice that i'm not using the urinal all the time or like that i'm always going into the stall like kind of overthinking situations like that or even just like road trips like my parents mm -hmm. have forgotten at times that i'm trans and like my dad's been like oh just like go at the side of the road and i'm like i can't so like yeah like things like that where it's like i just wanted to be able to function in everyday life without having to think about it all the time that's hmm. so interesting because that is in terms of just you know, adopting a lifestyle, I guess you could say as a man, that is such a big part, you know? And yeah, you don't really think about that, but that's one of those small things. Um, that's so, that's, that's so interesting. I mean, I have to ask too, like post-surgery and everything, do you remember the first time that you peed standing up? Uh, I do. It was, it wasn't the, so I panicked cause basically you can have uh, different complications with it and I thought that I had a complication really it was just like me being in my head and anxious uh so I remember it and it wasn't exactly I don't remember the first time I did successfully like all the way but I remember the first time I tried to mm. and it definitely hurt a lot just because it was like everything was new um there was like still blood so definitely like not the most ideal situation but um I can't, I can't actually remember the first time I did like fully, like where I didn't stop and freak out and kind of, cause they, they leave a catheter in you for like a couple of weeks and then get you to try peeing after like the first two weeks. Oh, interesting. And just in case you do have a, cause some people have it where there's like, uh, it's called like a fistula. It's basically where there's a hole where there's not supposed to be. Um, and pee can leak out of that. Um, 
So that's why they keep the catheter in. So I thought that I had that. I didn't. I was just like freaking out for no reason. Um, but yeah, I remember like a couple times after that, probably uh, going successfully and having no issues. Um, but that whole time was kind of a blur just because I was on so many medications after the surgery. But um, that's fair. But now it's obviously now it's just like any any other like. I can remember the last time I peed, but it's just like, it's just like average, like every day, you know? Right. Uh, I was going to ask how long has it been just like super normal, like since the final surgery? Uh, probably after like, I think the three week period, um, I was lucky that I didn't have any ongoing complications, uh, just cause it does have like a 50% complication rate. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty high up there just because of the amount of like, the amount of stuff that you're working with and, and dealing with, uh, there's two different graft sites because the graft that they take your actual penis from you, they have to cover that with a skin graft as well. So they take, uh, what they did was they took a piece of my thigh to cover my arm. Um, but yeah, so it was like probably around after the three week mark, um, that I didn't have any issues whatsoever with like peeing. So it's been, been a while. It's been like, over a year and a half now. Nice. That's cool. That's just super normal now. And then in terms of just the looks, like you said, a big misconception is what it looks like after. And uh, can you comment on that? I know we're like peppering you with questions about your penis. Okay. Uh, yeah. So one of the, like when you first come, cause like, uh, there's different stages. So like, uh, I'm post stage two. So like when I first had, uh, like my first stage, you come out and like you have a penis, but it kind of looks like sort of like it's uncircumcised. Obviously, it doesn't have that extra layer of skin, but there's no like definition of the head. So like people will see that, especially when it's swollen and like freshly post-op. And they kind of think it looks like a little bit sausagey, <laughs> like less like a, an average cis male penis. Um, right. when you go into stage two. Some people are able to do it in stage one, but it depends on like how much body fat you have. I was pretty low in body fat, so I couldn't do it stage one. Um, but my stage two consisted of uh, the testicular implants because uh, they do scrotoplasty in stage one, which is basically just creating a scrotum. Mm. Um, so I had a ball sack, but it was basically just like empty. Um, so you go from that to now after stage two, like I have a defined like, head around like the glands around my dick um so it looks like i've been circumcised and then because there's not really a way to create like an uncircumcised look unless you get medical tattooing uh which for me anyways like my parents would have had me circumcised so like and i just for my own aesthetics you know preferred that look um so i have that and the testicular implant so that made a huge difference in how it looks like i have gotten changed in front of people you know, and no one's noticed. Um, I think like if you looked up close, you might notice that the skin color is, a, is a bit different. Like it's all kind of one color, but I do plan on getting medical tattooing for that. Um, but from a distance and like in pictures and stuff, it's definitely not really that distinguishable. Wow. Um, from like a cis penis other than the fact that it's like kind of all one color, but I was going to ask if there is any, uh, difference, between uh a cis penis and a phalloplasty penis yeah there definitely there definitely is um obviously it's one that's you know made surgically so like 
there's going to be differences no matter like how realistic, uh, like it's a real penis, but it's, it's one that's come about, like you're not born with it. So it's going to have its differences. Um, so like in terms of appearance, like once you get the medical tattooing done, it's not really difference, uh, so much appearance wise, but definitely in terms of, you know, they can't, you have to get like an erectile device, like kind of similar to what, uh, men with erectile dysfunction would get implanted, like say if they don't want to do um, Viagra or like those types of options, or if they're just like not having any luck with those options, uh, we end up getting like an implant. Like not everyone ends up getting it just because there's also a complication rate with that. Um, but that would be the main difference is just that you have to use something like a pump or a rod that's uh, an implant to get it hard. But other than that, me the fact that you have to get medical tattooing, there's not that much of a difference, at least appearance wise. Interesting. And like functionality now that it's, I think you said a year and a half removed, is it everything that you hope for? Yeah, I definitely, I think my only issues with it now are just like the types of issues most guys have where there's some days where you're like, I wish it was bigger or like, I wish it did like shit like that, where it's like, if you get in your head about it, but it's just like, yeah, we're, uh, we've all been there. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things now where it's just like, it's just me being, it's the same as me like going to the gym and being like, I wish I had a six pack. And it's like, hey, right. yeah, like that kind of thing. Uh, but it's not really like, I don't have any, you know, um, huge, like, like there's no regrets or anything like that. Um, and I'm definitely glad that I did it. Uh, it's better probably in some ways than I would have expected just because I was slightly misinformed when I first started doing research onto it. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things of like, uh, people sometimes expect too much from surgery and like they expect it to solve everything in their life when it's like, obviously if you have insecurities from like your life before, uh, you'd still have to work through that anyways. Like the surgery isn't going to fully get rid of that. Um, yeah, it's a great but in point. terms of like, you know, being able to function like, and go to the bathroom and like have a sensation and all that uh, and change and like wear underwear and not have to like even things like swimming. Like I, I hadn't gone swimming for like, I don't know how many years just because like if you go in a pool, like your, your shorts kind of like cling to you and it's kind of obvious. So like, unless you're wearing something, but, and like they do make prosthetics for that, but I was always worried. Mm. I've heard like horror stories of people like going into pools, wearing those things. And then they like, you know, somehow get loose and like go floating around in the pool like that was just like a nightmare i didn't want to deal with <laughs> i was just like i'd rather just wait till it's like fully attached to my body and i don't yeah. have to worry about it like floating away <laughs> for sure uh that'd be interesting if a, if a kid found that that's it's not a, not a pool toy <laughs> not my way of like uh meeting people or like a good icebreaker in my <laughs> yeah no but i mean thank you for you know diving so deeply into that i'm like trying to imagine being on the other side of just getting questioned about my penis for like 25 minutes so you know i think that takes a lot to to share all that and you know of course just the misconceptions and um someone who's just actually been through that and, and experienced it uh but yeah wow and it's it's like it's interesting i guess as a segue because it seems like Obviously, I'm sure, like you mentioned, sensation and, and sex and everything is a part of why you got that surgery. But also, I guess just to authentically live 
as you put it in your email, as much as possible, which I guess is why you had so much emphasis on something like filling out a bathing suit or peeing, standing up and, and things like that. So, you know, you did mention in the email that part of your experience and I guess a difference between some other trans people is that desire that you have to just keep it as authentic as possible without people knowing that you are trans. And can you just go into that a little bit more? Because I think it is important to point out too that you mentioned in the email, it's not that you're ashamed of being trans, but it's just that desire to, like, I guess, live as a man as authentically as possible without people knowing. Yeah, like obviously um, I'm not under the assumption that like no one is ever going to know because obviously like I'm on a podcast like talking about it. Um, <laughs> I, I've in the past like po- like I before I used to not post anything about it on social media. Um, I did have instances where like uh, I've dated people and they've kind of like outed me to other people or if I've had friends that necessarily have like done that um, who knew me before. Uh, so it's one of those things of like, once you're at a certain age, it's kind of harder to control who has that information. And it got to a certain point, especially, um, when I was having lower surgery, where I was like, I felt a little more comfortable talking about it because for me, like the thing that people always used to ask was like, well, do you have a dick? Do you have a dick? So like it felt a bit more comfortable to, you know, at least if I got that question nowadays, I can be like, well, yeah, I fucking have one. Like, what are you going to say about it? Like, right. <laughs> um, but it was also one of those things of like taking back that, you know, when people out me without like, uh, my consent, like I'm able to take that back into my own and like make it my own thing if I'm the one disclosing it. Um, but in terms of like, like situations like work and stuff like that, or like if I'm, you know, not every new friend that I meet, I'm going to tell. And it's not like you said in my email, um, I made a point of saying like, it's not cause I'm ashamed. It's more so because I've noticed a difference even almost more so with queer, like other queer people or like trans people where, uh, they'll treat you differently. And it's not always a negative thing. Sometimes it's a positive way where they kind of like give you the benefit of the doubt because you're quote unquote one of them. But it's just like, I just wanted to be like interacted with the same as if I were a cis guy. Um, like I, I wouldn't want someone to be nicer to me or uh, more mean to me or whatever, like whether it's positive or negative, I wouldn't want them to act differently just because of the fact that I'm trans. Um, right. And I've had instances where people find out and I notice right away they treat me di- differently, like whether it's, um, you know, thinking that I'm going to be sensitive about certain topics and like kind of like uh, censoring themselves in certain ways. Like I have a pretty dark like warp sense of humor. So like I, I tend to like joke about my situation quite a lot. Um, and I was always worried about like certain friends of mine, not really getting that, uh, and kind of trying to like tiptoe around certain issues. So that was one of the main things was like, I noticed that people would either like be afraid to joke about certain things or, um, try to like be overly accommodating or like, like in certain ways, like like my mom is kind of like that, but obviously she has to know cause she's my mom and she like was there through the whole thing. But like, she'll do things like, Oh, like I didn't order you this thing in pink. And like, I would notice that people would do certain things like that where they'd assume that mm. I was completely uncomfortable with like a color just because of my situation. It's like, no, like I'm not, a, I'm not like that insecure in my masculinity that I can't have like a pink t-shirt or something, you know, like, 
Uh, right. I, just, I just don't like that, like, kind of, like, over-analyzation of uh, mm-hmm. my gender just because I'm trans. I don't know if that makes sense, but... It does, because it's sort of then a label is way more tied to your identity, and that's obviously not... That's not your end goal. Your end goal is to be yourself, essentially. Yeah, like... Uh, it's more so like like when people do certain things where I'm like, you wouldn't say or do that with like a cis guy. Um, those kind of things bother me. Like even if it's something positive where like, uh, you know, there's um, a lot of people that feel more comfortable talking about certain issues with trans men as compared to cis men that they know. Um, and it's one of those things of like, I just want you to treat me like the same as like, if you didn't know, or like, so I, I tend to just like not disclose an instance where I'm, I'm not sure that the person is going to treat me differently or not. Um, and yeah, it's not based on like a shame thing. It's just based on like, I've noticed the the difference in interactions um, from, yeah. from certain types of people. And it's just trying to avoid that kind of instance. Um, and it definitely gets me in some odd situations because, you know, I've, had people at work that think that they're friends with me um, and then talk about like transphobic shit because they assume, you know, that I am not, uh, which can get a bit interesting. Uh, yeah. but, uh, you know, in some ways it's validating, but obviously it's not, it's not nice to hear what people secretly think of me, like not knowing that it's me. Um, but it just goes to show you that people really don't know what they're talking about sometimes because they'll think that they're best friends with someone and then have no idea that they're kind of uh, insulting them right to their face. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm interested also in, in, you know, when you have relationships with people romantically, is this something that you would prefer not to disclose or do you, you know, make sure somewhere, somewhere along the line that you tell them like, Hey, by the way, I am trans. So I definitely, definitely make sure uh, beforehand, like, um, even if I was like, cause I haven't had medical tattooing and I haven't had, uh, the erectile implant. So it is something I would still have to talk about. Um, but even if I was post all of that stuff, um, I would still want to disclose that because as much as like, I want to be like, it's different when like, my thing is like, I tell people if it's relevant to them. So like, if you're interacting with my junk, I feel like it's relevant for you to know, like that it didn't always start out that way. Um, that's just my personal opinion. I know some people who don't agree with that. Um, for me, it just doesn't feel right to, like, I want that person to be able to fully consent to being with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's transphobic if someone doesn't want to sleep with me because of that. There's plenty of valid reasons. Like, you know, if people want to have biological kids, if that's like a huge priority for them, or if they just, you know, need to be with, a cisgender man for whatever reason like I'm not gonna fault someone at it or guilt them or call them transphobic because of that that's just like you know they can't help it um as long as they're respectful about it like I'll understand it um but yeah that's something that I do make sure to disclose like even before I would kiss someone like I'm not the type to uh I like people to get to know me a bit first just so they see that I'm not like I don't want them to find out I'm trans first and then kind of like make up whatever ideas right. they have about that. So usually I'll mm. do like a couple dates first and then, and then tell them, but I don't do anything physical until they know just so they can like fully consent. Um, yeah. And how yeah, have I've, those have, 
interactions been with that? Have, have they been positive for the most part or any that didn't turn out so well? Yeah, mostly positive. Um, I've had some confusion with, uh, where people think that I mean that I'm transitioning into a woman, uh, and I have to clarify that, no, it's been like a couple years. Like it's the opposite. It's just that I've already gone through it, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I've dated both, uh, like, well, I've dated, I guess, gay, straight and bisexual women at this point, but like, um, obviously I wouldn't at this point in time, I wouldn't be dating, uh, a gay woman. Uh, right. I just don't think that would work. Like even early on, I wasn't really big into it. It's just that, it, you know, when I first started, I was pre everything. So it was kind of hard to date either straight or by women that would, you know, understand that. Um, but yeah, it's mostly for the most part been, been positive. Uh, you do get the odd person where they're like, Oh, like I can't really do that. Or like, you know, I've dated people who say they're okay with it at first. And then like later on, as time goes by, they're like, you know, I wish I could just like have kids the normal way or whatever. Or like, mm -hmm. um, especially pre-surgery, the sex thing was like an issue. Um, but for the most part, like my, my experience has been a lot more positive than negative, I would say. Do you think, because I've had this thought for like some time in this conversation with people before, um, but I think in the, not that uh, transgender, you know, people transitioning is like a new thing, but I think that it's new in the sense of it's more mainstream talked about, there's way more awareness and education about it now. Do you think that at some point in the future, it won't be something that people Will necessarily have to disclose in the way that you're talking about because I do think like I understand what you're saying of, of when you first meet someone it's not something you're going to lead with because you don't want it to sort of you know mold the conversation you know uh, just like starting out with that like even if you know you're in a bar and uh, like a random girl comes up to you you're not immediately going to be like oh I have a girlfriend like you're going to have a conversation with someone because it's like a weird thing to sort of lead with like it's kind of yeah. unnecessary at that point but if things you know progress then you can disclose these things do you think that uh, you know the world will get to the point where you know with all the education and awareness that maybe you know it won't have to be something that you necessarily have to disclose or you you feel like you won't have to disclose um, that's kind of hard. I don't, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't think that you have like the right answer. I'm just like yeah. curious, like what you think about that. Like, do you think it's like trending in that direction? Because I feel like now it's way more prevalent to, I mean, to walk through a, like, a, or way more, um, you know, there's better, there's more of a chance that you walk through a high school and there are more out, uh, gay kids or more, uh, trans students. And like when I was in high school, like I didn't know any really fully out gay kids or, zero people who are uh trans so um yeah i feel like we're trending in some sort of direction so i was just wondering what your opinion is because you do have that opinion of being like it's not something that i have to lead with but also i would like to disclose that just so people kind of know i i personally think it's something that's always going to be something that you would kind of have to disclose just because i think the assumption like as much as it's become more popular like more covered in certain ways like part of that is just you know, social media and the way that it works. And, um, you know, a lot of times younger kids experiment with like, whether it's sexuality or gender, and they're not all necessarily going to turn out to be, um, trans people that are going to fully transition, 
medically speaking or legally speaking. Um, and not all of the, not all kids that, uh, you know, experiment with sexuality end up being gay or bisexual even. So it's one of those things of like, it's good that it's becoming more talked about and, and socially acceptable. Um, but I don't think that means that you no longer have those, those conversations where you disclose to people because I think there's still always this assumption with reason, like there's reason to, to assume because I, I think the statistic might've changed now because there's so many people coming out now, but originally what I was told was 1% of the population's trans. Um, so you would obviously assume most people you meet are not trans. Uh, so I feel like because of that, you kind of have to disclose just because, you know, if I meet someone, you know, maybe 10 years from now, it might be different. But like, if I were to meet someone on the street, I'm assuming that they would, they would think I'm a cis man. So like, it'd be kind of awkward to, you know, have to tell them later on, like, even if uh, it's not physically apparent, like, you know, if you visit my family, like they have pictures of me uh, as a kid where I clearly am dressed in female clothes. So like, it'd be kind of an awkward thing to not really uh, yeah. you know, talk to someone about. I don't know. Like it's one of those things where I feel like it would always be something you talk about, but maybe it's just more so like, it'll be less of a conversation and kind of more, which I've noticed myself even like, uh, cause I went to high school, probably not, too far along from you guys and like it was the same for me where um i was the only person in like a quote-unquote same sex relationship like i was the only out person at that high school uh and there were no out trans kids at that school um so nowadays that's that's seen as like more of a normal thing or like people are more likely to come into contact with it and i've noticed with like younger people that i work with uh it's something that they're aware of versus before working with people uh a lot of times they had no idea what that what that was or what it meant um so i think the conversation might be more normalized but i don't see it not being a conversation anymore yeah that's fair because i guess if any a relationship gets to a certain point in a sense it has to be said but maybe the, sh the real shift comes in the perception of it the reactions to it and, and things like that mm -hmm. yeah it's just like anything else where like um i think there's certain things where like like unrelated like i don't know like if you disclose that you have like diabetes or like a health condition or like some other thing like you're always gonna like there might not be as much of a stigma as there was like years ago, but it's still something that it's relevant to a relationship if it's going to be long-term or if it's serious, um, that you would want your partner to, to know certain things about you. Right. Mm -hmm. No, totally. Um, but yeah. So is there, uh, you know, anything that, that you didn't cover that you would want to say, you know, while, while you're here, while you have the audience, while you possibly have, you know, anyone listening who is transitioning themselves, going through anything similar, thinking about surgery, um, you know, just kind of any, any words for them? Um, I definitely think like, uh, making sure you have a good support system is definitely key. Uh, doing a lot of research, uh, there's a lot more resources nowadays that people like, you still kind of have to dig for some information, but like, Back in the day, I, uh, you know, I had to like read through like 
like those like PubMed type articles and like uh, go on some like weird like Yahoo groups to find information. <laughs> Whereas like nowadays it's like there's Facebook groups for it. There's Reddit groups. Um, so just making sure people do their, their information and like fully understand like uh, the complexity of the surgery. And then also I think my main advice, if anyone was like considering undergoing any type of like lower surgery, uh, is to make sure that you have a good surgical team, uh, make sure that they have a background in like that specialty and have been doing it long enough, like talk to patients of theirs if you're able to get in touch with them. Um, whenever I meet someone that is like looking to, to get the surgery, like I do tend to give them like advice, like whether it's, uh, which surgeons that I know have like a better, uh, complication rate or like have better outcomes in terms of like, uh, lower complication rates. Um, and just, you know, kind of trying to steer them in the right direction. So they hopefully get, uh, a surgery that, you know, helps them feel better about themselves, but also like has less physical complications. Um, so yeah, just like doing a lot of research into the team that you, you end up going to. I think would be the best advice I would give. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we, we appreciate you, man, uh, coming on and, and talking to us and, you know, really giving us, uh, a bunch of information, especially about, you know, the surgery. I feel like I learned so much <laughs> about something I knew nothing about. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of information just in general that it's like, you can go on for like hours about different aspects of it, but definitely with the surgery, uh, there's a, there's a lot of information to, so I can see how it's like overwhelming, not even just for like people who aren't having it, but like even other trans people, like, and that's how some of the misinformation spreads is like, it gets exhausting trying to, like I, I researched it probably for 10 years before I ended up getting it. Wow. So I had a long enough, I had a long time versus like someone who's just interested in it, trying to dive into that in one night. It's not necessarily going to go that quickly. Um, so I can understand how it's a bit overwhelming to try to process all that information. Yeah, no, totally. And, uh, yeah, no, super useful, helpful and, and interesting information. And yeah, I mean, we thank you so much. Like you said, there's a lot more resources now and, uh, you know, we hope that this can be a resource for people too. And just you coming on and, you know, sharing your personal journey and, uh, how everything has gone and is going for you, uh, I'm sure will be helpful to people. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for, for having me on and, and talking to me. Sorry if I rambled a bit too much. No, not at all. But thank you. And uh, yeah, good luck with everything. And thanks for coming out. Today's podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I go to therapy I love therapy. It's helped me so much to navigate my career, my marriage, and huge upcoming life events and changes, like the fact that I'm about to be a dad soon. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with a therapist. So you never have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you'll get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. So you can pretty much get started right away. 
Give it a try. See why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. And this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and other people's lives. Listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash OPL. That's BetterHelp spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. Betterhelp.com slash OPL. All right. Well, I uh, definitely think that we learned a lot on that episode. I uh, definitely feel like I know more about the post, what's it called? Post phalloplasty. Post phalloplasty. Well, phalloplasty. Oh, phalloplasty. Yeah. I, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> yo, dude, like I'm astounded at, at like medical science, <laughs> just hearing all that, like that you can, how do they do that? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like how? Like that's so wild to even think about. When he was explaining that, I'm like, this sounds like the hardest surgery in the entire world. <laughs> like, <laughs> connecting nerves? I don't even know. I didn't like what what is that even I don't even how? Yeah, crazy. But cool too. Just like, you know, and the desire for it, like even the misconception of, you know, like it just being a sexual organ, obviously, and sensation and, and things like that. Um, and then, you know, for him bringing him to the point to be able to have sex with women. But I, lo- I just loved what he said about like just peeing. I just, I need to pee standing up and That's I needed I to like, if I'm going to be a man, then I need to do the things that are in line with just a man's lifestyle. And it sounds so mundane, but that's what's so crucial. I asked that question, but I already knew the answer. Yeah. Right. Well, I wanted, I wanted him to tell me the answer, but I, I knew the answer because that's one of the best perks about being a guy. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> you know I, mean? I know. Being able to do it on the go and like, you know, just stand up kind of also not getting pregnant is a fucking sick one as well. <laughs> uh, so that's dope. Um, but yeah, uh, that was, that was interesting. I, I, I really liked that as well to, to know that that was like the one, but I wanted to hear, you know, him kind of give his answer about like, you know, it just makes you feel more like a, a, a guy. And also I guess, you know, there, there is that, that it would, I guess, eventually become obvious and kind of make you like in your head to always think about, oh, well, I'm not ever using a urinal or anything like that. So, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of agree with the view. Like I said, I think I, I compare it to, like I compared it in the episode to, you know, any, like a, a straight guy having a girlfriend and then he's approached by a just random girl at the bar you're not going to like leave with like, Oh, I'm, I have a girlfriend, you know? And like, stop. You know what I mean? Like that would be weird. And now it's like just unnecessary to do that. It's like, I wasn't trying to like relax. We're just talking. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the same thing, but yeah, I also think that like the, the way that he views it in, in, in like, I guess that's getting full consent is like making sure you kind of know the deal. And we've had conversations with people who have STDs and they kind of feel the same way of like, that would be wrong to not tell people like, Hey, by the way, I have herpes or, you know, something yeah. like whatever. Like, it doesn't mean like you're sitting down and, you know, having a conversation about, you know, in a book club and you need to like tell everyone you have her- herpes, exactly. but if someone's about to interact with that area, yeah, you tell can them the deal. Exactly. Um, but yeah, no. And that's, that's cool too. You know, after we kind of talked about the surgery, just to hear, you know, just his journey, his approach, um, and feeling of like consent and things like that. And it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just good to hear that and that he's kind of just living the life that he wants. 
simple, you know? Simple, man. I, I get it. Um, but yeah, really cool episode. I'm glad that we uh, covered that topic. Um, for anyone out there that would like to come on the show, definitely hit us up. Uh, always looking for new episodes. You can uh, hit us on our email, oplpodcast at gmail.com, or go to our website, oplshow.com. Yeah, follow us on Instagram at oplpodcast. If you want to become a Patreon, sorry, if you want to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash oplshow. You'll get weekly bonus episodes, and you get to help support the show. And don't forget, if you want to pick up a copy of Pay the Price, use the code OPL at checkout at paythepricegame.com for 15% off. That is all. We'll see you next time.